Thank you for taking time to listen to this Redemption Church sermon. Redemption Church exists to make authentic disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of our world. We want to help everyday people wake up to a deep, meaningful life in Christ. We pray this sermon will help. For more information about Redemption Church and for additional resources, please visit redemptionokc.com. What will you build your life upon in 2024? That's what we want to explore in the next few minutes as we reflect on Psalm 1 and get ready to usher in a new year in just a couple of hours. What type of foundation does your life have? Will we choose for our lives in the coming year? Two of my favorite Christmas movies are A Christmas Carol and It's a Wonderful Life. And uh, both of those movies illustrate what it looks like to build a life on differing foundations. Both movies, the main plot is a sharp contrast between characters who have chosen very different foundations for their lives. In A Christmas Carol, the contrast is between Scrooge and Bob Cratchit with the foundation that Scrooge chooses for his life being money and work. And he ends up with a successful business, a large house, a personal fortune, but he's an angry and unhappy man, at least until the end of the story. The foundation Bob Cratchit chooses for his life is family, generosity, at least implicit in the movies, maybe faith. And Cratchit ends up with a large family living in a house that's too small, worrying about his health and his son's health and bills, but they're, they're content, they're joyful, they're a loving family. In It's a Wonderful Life, it's a really similar story. The contrast there is between Mr. Potter and George Bailey. The characters are very, very similar. It's Potter this time who builds his life on wealth and on work, and he ends up an angry, unhappy man, while George builds his life on family and generosity and, again, maybe at least implicitly faith. And in the end, he's a content and joyful man surrounded by family and friends who love him. The two movies are really similar, and they've always been some of my favorites, and I think the reason I've been drawn to these movies is that they show, so poignantly show us how easy it is to build our lives on the wrong foundation. At first glance, the characters in these movies are really simple. You've got Bob Cratchit and George Bailey, who have chosen the right path. They've built their lives on faith and family, friends, generosity, and they live full lives because of it. And you've got Scrooge and Potter who have built their lives on wealth and work and they're angry and unhappy because of it. But it's really not that simple. When the ghost of Christmas past visits Scrooge, we get to see more of his life story and we see that Scrooge wasn't always this way. He wasn't always consumed with money. We see him dancing on Christmas Eve. We learn that he wasn't always distant relationally, but he was close with his sister who had died when they were young and that he was even engaged, but it had been broken off. We see that Scrooge didn't always build his life on money and career. In his younger years, it was a push and pull. It was money and career, but it was also family and friends and faith. And ultimately, the pain in his life leads him to seek comfort and worth in his money. And so he builds his life around those things. In It's a Wonderful Life, it's easy to make George out to just be this positive, shining example who's opposite of Potter, but again, it's really not that simple throughout his life. George wrestles with, where should I build the foundation of my life? As a boy and young adult, he wants to travel the world and uh, build his life on adventure and significance, build skyscrapers in New York. 
that he's confronted with a choice. Do I stay home and save the family business, which helps out so many people in our hometown, or do I go to college and chase my dreams? And it's not an easy choice for George, but he stays home, runs the family business, and builds his life there. And even as the movie comes to its climax, George has run the business successfully for years. He's got a healthy family. They've got a nice house. And he's still wrestling with what really matters in life. I love these two movies because they remind me that there are good foundations upon which to build my life. And there are poor foundations. And they also remind me how easy it is to get off track and start building on the wrong foundation. And so as we come to the close of 2023 and the beginning of 2024, we want to ask ourselves, what foundations are we building our lives upon? And Psalm 1, which we read part of earlier, invites us to build upon the Lord. Psalm 1, just like A Christmas Carol and It's a Wonderful Life, lays out these two divergent paths and it asks us to make a choice. In fact, Psalm 1 was likely intentionally placed as the first psalm in the book of Psalms because it so clearly forces the hearer to make a choice, which path are you going to take? Some scholars have suggested that this psalm is sort of a a gatekeeper to the rest of the, the book of Psalms. In other words, if you read Psalm 1 and you choose the way of the wicked sinner scoffer over here, then you should just close the book of Psalms and lay it aside. But if you read it and choose the way of the Lord, then you're invited further into a life of worship and intimacy with God. And so let's unpack this psalm briefly, just a few minutes, and see uh, what we can learn, what it has to say to us this morning as we get ready to turn the calendar to a new year. So Psalm 1, verse 1, again, says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So here's the negative path. This is the path not to take. The psalmist says, the Blessed is the person who does not do this. And what is this exactly? Well, this verse is is full of poetic imagery that we've got to unravel and peel back to really get the picture of what he's talking about here. And the main poetic device that he's using is this worsening of the descriptions as this list goes on. So to us, wicked, sinners, scoffers, all of those are negative terms. They all sound pretty bad to us. But in the original context, a sinner was worse than someone who was wicked. And a scoffer was the worst of all. So there's actually a progression here from wicked, you're sort of bad if you're wicked, to sinner, you're bad, to scoffer, that's someone who's really bad. And the action words that are attached to each type of person is also this negative progression. So first it's someone who walks around with wicked people. If you're walking, you're kind of just passing by or passing through. But then it's someone who's standing with sinners. If you're standing, you're going to be there for a little bit. You're standing. You've stopped. And then the last one is someone who sits with scoffers. If you've sat, then you're going to be there for a while. You've chosen to sit and stay. And then even the last little bit of each phrase, you've got the counsel of the wicked, the way of sinners, and the seat of scoffers. This is also this downward progression. The imagery of counsel suggests ideas or thoughts, something just in the mind, while the imagery of way suggests actions, and the imagery of seat suggests something that's been settled. And so in this verse, you get these three steps of this worsening progression from walking in the way of the wicked, standing in the way of sinners, to sitting in the seat of scoffers. 
Another thing to highlight in verse one is this word blessed. And this is a a word that's difficult to translate into English. Hebrew has several words that usually get translated blessed in English. And this one specifically refers to the state of mind or state of being of a person who has been blessed. So we could easily translate this as something like happy or joyful. It's what a blessed person feels. And it's interesting that the Greek version of Psalm 1, the the word blessed here is makarios, which is the same word that Jesus uses in his Beatitudes to kick off the Sermon on the Mount when he repeats that word blessed over and over again. And that was likely intentional on Jesus' part. Jesus knew that Psalm 1 was this this amazing psalm, the beginning of the book of Psalms that was incredibly popular, that it was this invitation to build one's life on the kingdom of God. And so when Jesus starts off the Sermon on the Mount using this word blessed over and over, he's kind of hearkening back to Psalm 1 and saying that his sermon will be similar. So if we take all that imagery together, we could paraphrase Psalm 1 verse 1 something like this. Blessed or happy is the person who does not entertain ideas contrary to God's kingdom, nor acts in a way that is inconsistent with God's kingdom, nor builds his or her life on a foundation other than God and his kingdom. And as I was reflecting on Psalm 1 this week, it was this progression that really stood out to me because I'm pretty sure I'm not going to intentionally choose to build my life on something other than God and his kingdom in this new year. I'm guessing since you're here at church on a holiday on New Year's Eve, you probably feel the same way. You want to follow Jesus. We want to follow Jesus. We know that trusting Jesus with our lives not only glorifies God, but leads us into a life of flourishing. And yet at the same time, we all entertain ideas contrary to God's kingdom from time to time. We all act in ways contrary to God's kingdom from time to time. And it stood out to me just how easy it is to get off track and to begin building our lives on a foundation that we really don't want to be building on. And it's not just money, of course, like the Christmas movies that makes a poor foundation for our lives. It could be anything other than God. And Psalm 1 stands as this warning to us just how easy it is to build elsewhere. Verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. So here's the, this is the positive example. This is the other path, the right path, the proper foundation to build upon. And it's the Lord, it's his law, and it's his kingdom. And sometimes we read that word law and it's got a negative connotation for us. We hear, we read that and we hear it as just a warning against doing things that God doesn't want us to do. But actually this word law should have a positive connotation, would have for the original hearers because the law is what God gave to his people to help restore them and to minimize the effects of sin in their community. And some of the law, specifically in the Old Testament, is confusing to us because it was given to people living thousands of years ago. But the goal of the law was not to be confusing or weird or overbearing. It was to restore God's people, to be a blessing. In other words, following God's law doesn't mean a boring, uninteresting, dull life, which I think is kind of our cultural assumptions about God's law. Following God's law is actually an invitation back to Eden, back to the life that we were created for. Jesus shows us that in the Sermon on the Mount, again, which is in some ways a reworking and expanded version of Psalm 1. He shows us that to delight in God's law is not primarily this command to deny our desires and obey God. It's primarily an invitation to live the life that we were created 
to live according to the one who laid down the blueprint, the one who created all things and knows the best way to live in the world. In fact, Bible scholars all point out that the way the poetry works in Psalm 1 is that all of the negative language in the psalm is actually meant to highlight the positive invitation of verses 2 and 3. In other words, we shouldn't read Psalm 1 primarily as a a warning against sin or primarily as a warning against building our life on the wrong foundation. It's actually primarily an invitation to build on the right foundation. And that doesn't mean that there isn't danger in sin. There is. It doesn't mean that Psalm 1 isn't warning us against building on the wrong kind of life. It is, and the rest of the psalm that we we won't get to today talks about that more. But the emphasis, the, the main point of the psalm is an invitation into the life that is really life. And that's why verse two leads right into verse three, which is the, the main point, the highlight of the psalm, the high point, the climax. It says, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither and all that he does, he prospers. So the person who builds his or her life, not on what the world invites us to build on, but on God and his kingdom will be like a well-nourished tree producing green leaves and plentiful fruit. One commentator says, to unpack this simile, the picture suggests life, productivity, fruitfulness, health. Those are all words that we hear a lot this time of year, aren't they? Most New Year's resolutions are centered around these things. Our culture is obsessed with optimizing everything, work, parenting, diet, exercise, finances, in order to maximize productivity, life, fruitfulness, and health. And it struck me that at the time of year when we're searching for that life hack that will actually get us those things this year, Psalm 1 invites us to find them in God. If you're like me, this is the time of year where you make changes to your life to try and make 2024 better than 2023, and that's not a bad thing, but as I reflected on Psalm 1 this week, I was reminded that what I need most in 2024 is not a new life hack that will help me save more money or sleep better or read more books. What I need most is to transfer the weight of every area of my life over to God and to trust Him. And it doesn't mean life will be easy. Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount with his famous parable about two men, one who built his house on the rock, one who built his house on the sand. And if you know the parable, the storms came for both houses. Both houses experienced the storm, but one house was able to withstand it because it had the right foundation while the other fell. So in other words, building your life on Christ in 2024 does not mean it will be the easiest, most successful year of your life. But it does mean that no matter what the new year brings, we'll have everything we need to face it. So what do we do with this? How, how can we work towards building our lives on Christ in the new year? Well, over Christmas, my brother-in-law was telling me about a, a Christian money expert that he had been listening to his podcast. And I thought, well, I don't really want to do this, but I guess I'll pick up this book and read it so that I can talk to him about it. And one of his first pieces of advice when it came to stewarding your money well was to pay attention. The first step in his plan was to track your spending so you know what's coming in, what's going out, because if you don't do that, you're not going to know how much you can save or invest. You won't be able to steward your money well. And I think that's good advice for the spiritual life as well, because we rarely slow down, reflect, and pay attention to our spiritual life. We rarely ask ourselves and God the difficult questions, like where are we building 
on a foundation that does not come from the Lord? Where are we letting ideas that are contrary to God's kingdom come into our life and affect our thoughts, our actions, and even the direction of our life? And we can evaluate our spiritual life at any time of year, but the new year is a great time to do so. And uh, we've got two very specific ways that you can lean in in this area uh, in, the, in, in January in the next month. First is that our sermon series for the month of January will be all about growing in deep, meaningful life in Christ. It will survey Jesus' teaching in the Gospels to see how Jesus developed his disciples and wants to develop us as well to flourish in the world. And then connected to that, we've also been working on a tool that is essentially a spiritual health evaluation that's designed to help you think through your life and to celebrate God's grace in your life and to also identify areas where you can look to grow. And so be on the lookout for that coming up next week. And I just encourage you to lean in in the month of January. Lean in with this tool. You might have uh, heard me say spiritual health evaluation and rolled your eyes, um, at least inside. I I didn't see anyone do that, but I thought nobody has time for that. But the heart behind these things, behind taking the month of January to reflect, behind offering something like a spiritual health evaluation tool is because Jesus is inviting us to be like a tree planted by water whose leaf does not wither. That's the life that Jesus is inviting us to, and we want to be the type of church that pursues that life, that runs hard after Jesus together. And so, just encourage you to lean in in the month of January. Um, Let me pray for us, and then we'll continue to worship by taking communion. Oh, Father, thank you for your grace in our lives in this last year. Thank you for your grace in this church, and what a fun and exciting year that it was. God, I pray that you would show us the areas of our lives that we've not built on you. Pray that you would help us repent and turn from those things. I pray that you would forgive us from where we've looked elsewhere for our lives. And God, I pray that in the coming year, you would help us transfer the weight of our lives onto you. Pray that you would make us like trees planted by streams of water. Father, I pray that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen.